Make your way, if you will, to Luke chapter 2 once more. And we want to continue looking at the manger, the, the, the shepherd story, and we also want to talk about the outcasts of the manger as we continue our study that we've entitled Living Proof. And uh, we uh, have been looking at a number of places, and I, I believe this will be the last one we delve into. And I kind of wanted to save, last time we talked about the wise man and the star, I wanted to save this one until it was getting it here into Christmas time of year. But God arranged on the very night, probably just hours, maybe not even that, after the birth of Christ, that uh, God assembled a group of witnesses to come to see and to verify what was going on. And everything was happening as it has been reported. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this experience of you or some member of your family where uh, something like a wedding is being planned. And one of the things you early have to determine is who, who is going to get invited to the festivities. Because you send out invitations and have little RSVPs and to figure out who all is coming and all of that sort of thing. A lot of times if there's a couple getting married, I, I will meet with them as we're working on uh, helping them to hopefully be as prepared as they can to enter marriage. And, and I'm, I'm not really the wedding planner, so I don't have anything to do with the wedding you know, invitations and the music and the flowers. But typically over our weeks together, that's something that I'll at least inquire about, well, especially to the bride. You know, how's it going? Is, is everything coming into place? Just to be a means of conversation. And what I have seen typically what happens is early, you know, this is a few months out, well, the wedding is going to be this number and this many people are invited. A few weeks later, that number has grown a little bit. A few weeks later, it's become even bigger. And sometimes it gets right up to wedding time and it's just chaos all over. Because you start thinking, well, we should invite them and we don't want to leave those folks out. And it becomes rather difficult. Now, you might think when God is going to send out a birth announcement of his son, and you know the rest of the story, so I can't, I can't surprise you. I can't, I can't keep the suspense going any longer. But who would you expect he would descend it to? To send a few angels over into Jerusalem and wind up at Herod's palace or to drop in over at the temple next door to announced to the high priest and all of those that are serving there. After all, he sent a, in chapter 1 of Luke, he sent an angel in to talk to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, right there in the holy place, right by the altar of incense. So he could send anyone anywhere he wanted to go. But God, in his amazing choice, chose shepherds. It was not a priest, a scribe, member of the court, prophet, not an official, but shepherds. And what you have to understand... You think about every Christmas play you've ever seen, right? You always got uh, a group of usually children if they're acting it out, and they've all got one of those you know sticks in their hand, and they got a towel wrapped around their head and a bathrobe, and and uh, you know they 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 come and say their parts. And but what you need to understand is shepherds in Jesus' day. How should we say it? They were the lowest, one of the lowest rungs on the social ladder. In fact, one author I read said that they shared the same unenviable status as tax collectors and dung sweepers. So these were not the the high society, well-placed, well-connected people. These were the laborers of the day. Uh, Pastor Adam got me in touch with a book by Randy Alcorn and uh, just has some fascinating accounts uh, that I'm gonna, actually going to read a couple sections to you as we, we go forward in our study. But 
Alcorn writes this. He says, What an affront to the religious leaders who were so conspicuously absent from the divine mailing list. Even from birth, Christ moved among the lowly. It was the sinners, not the self-righteous, he came to save. And uh, there's more messages to it than, than that. But let's talk about these shepherds. And let's go back to Luke 2. And let's, let's make sure we read in the scriptures the account of their story. Uh, the first few verses is going to recover what we talked about this morning when we concentrated on the angel's message. Verse 8, Luke 2. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This, will be a, this shall be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said one to another, Let us go to Bethlehem. And see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Again, very familiar. I just want to start by asking a question about why the shepherds? Why, why were the shepherds the ones chosen? Why were they the ones selected to hear this divine birth announcement of Jesus coming? Well, I want to just give you three categories to think our way through. We're going, to just, we're going to try to just sort of logically put this together as best we can. But I think there's some practical reasons. There's some prophetic reasons. And then there's some instructive reasons, things to instruct us on. And we're going to look at all these, and I'll have some things on the screen that might keep you uh, in place. Let's talk about the practical reasons. Why were the shepherds selected? And this might seem a little bit simplistic, but nonetheless... There are practical reasons to why God does things. Sometimes we say this. I'm going to take just a moment away and say this. Sometimes we say, well, God did this because of that. God did this for that reason. And that well, very well may be true. But I'm also convinced what God does has more reasons than you and I could ever figure out. It's, it's multifaceted. It's multilayered. It's deep. We may see on the surface, but as you keep digging it, we're not going to get particularly deep when you consider these great things of God. But there are some practical reasons. One of which, and if, uh, I've got a little ahead of myself there, Jeremy. If you'll go back to our verse from the Old Testament there, that very first verse you'll see in the, in the slideshow from Deuteronomy. We've, we've looked at this every time we've looked at this series. But remember it says in Deuteronomy 19.15, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. That was God's standard for establishing evidence in their legal system. 
So what we've looked at is all these places where God sent multiple witnesses. That's the first one. If you go back to the practical reasons, sorry for being off schedule there just a bit. Number one, it provided this evidentiary standard of multiple witnesses. It says there were shepherds out in the field watching their their flock that very night. So it's more than one. We don't know if it was two. We don't know if it was 20. We don't know if it was 50. Uh, Usually our Christmas pageants is only limited by how many small size bathrobes we can find. And that's how we determine how many uh, shepherds there are in the Christmas play. But uh, there there was at least two. I would suspect more. And uh, so God just practically sets it up. So this very night, here these shepherds come. This is, again, off subject, but I wonder how, what Mary thought. She's just going through childbirth, and she's, you know, this whole, she's at least displaced from where she's been living in Nazareth and, and, and so forth. But uh, then suddenly these shepherds come poking around. You know, maybe someone kind of, you know, what are you guys doing? We're looking for a baby in the middle of the night. Well, they're usually the only ones up, children. It's shepherds and babies in the middle of the night, so maybe you guys are a good match. Well, what kind of baby are you looking for? One that's wrapped in swaddling cloths, strips of cloth. That's every newborn baby. That's just that standard issue. Well, how about we're looking for one that's lying in a manger? Now, that's a little unique. That's an identifier. That's a descriptor. And suddenly, wherever Mary was, wherever the baby was, these guys are poking their heads in. And I suspect, although it doesn't say in the text, that somewhere along the line they communicated to her because we assume that Mary was the one who communicated this to Dr. Luke. And by the way, you'll typically tell your doctor more things than you'll tell just anybody else. So some of these kind of personal details that Mary had. So they, they, they would have told her, we saw an angel. He said this. There was a whole army of heaven saying glory to God in the highest. And so she had recalled those things. So multiple witnesses. Number two, they provided unrelated witnesses. If you think if you're trying to establish a truth and, and uh, you, 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 know, you ask a spouse or you ask a family member, uh, you, you might get somebody that might sort of favor shedding the best light on the person they're close to. An unrelated sort of impartial witness, always the best witnesses. And uh, these people had no connection to Mary. They weren't family members. They weren't people who knew her. So unrelated to witnesses. Now, getting very practical, number three, they were just available witnesses. <laughs> they were available. Number one, they were near Bethlehem. And number two, they were up in the middle of the night to make this nighttime run into Bethlehem and see this newborn baby. So they were available. It doesn't mean that God just chose them because they were the only ones available, but that also factors in. But probably most importantly, if you go to the end of the story, it says in verse 17, when they'd seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And it says in verse 20, Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. They are going to be the mouthpieces to announce this to other people. And maybe we could just say it this way. The unlikeliness of the witness maybe caused more attention to be paid to the message. We'll just say it this way. The attention caused by them being unlikely witnesses may have been just part of the practical reasons that the shepherds were called. I mean, after all, who would you expect? You wouldn't, on, on your short list, you would never put shepherds. But here's what we want to think about us. There's three things that the shepherds do. There's three responses. And in the practical point of life and in the practicality of our life, this fits. I just want to put the word listen in front of you. If you go back to verse 
9, it says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Verse 10, Then the angel said to them, and there's the message delivered we looked at this morning. They listened. They listened. It's interesting, and I don't want to make too much of it, but I do want to make a little something of it. And that is this. They were out there probably lonely and alone and quiet. Just a few snoring sheep around. If sheep, had, if sheep really snore, I really don't know that for a fact. I've always imagined that they do. But it's quiet. There's something about the solitude of the night that just sort of factors into my imagination to say, maybe they were really prepared to listen to the voice of God. Well, we live in a noisy world. Have you noticed? We live in a world where we're always bombarding ourselves with information. Uh, Julie and I uh, went out for some chicken after, after church this morning. And we were sitting there in this very busy place. And you know what I saw most people doing? They weren't looking at their menus. They weren't talking to their friends. They were sitting there doing this. Several people, maybe not the majority, but several people were doing it. So I turned mine face down and tried to leave it alone at least for five minutes. But we live, in, we live with where we just, we, our, our minds are bombarded. And I just want to encourage you, if you really want to listen to the voice of God, some solitude might really help you. Some quiet. Getting away. Jesus talked about going into your closet to pray. And I know in that context he's talking about don't pray so people could see you praying and call attention to yourself. But maybe there's something about that closet experience, literally or at least figuratively, that we get alone and get quiet. So maybe turn off the phone, turn off the TV, get away from other people as best you can. For those of you that are parents, I understand that's difficult. But find some time just to think and listen and spend some time with God. That's particularly difficult this month, right? You've got lots to do, lots of activities, lots on your schedule. But listen. Find some time to listen. They listen to the voice of God. Secondly, talk about some prophetic reasons. And I think you'll probably find these probably a little more interesting even than just the practical lessons. But first of all, the prophetic, list, the prophetic reasons. First of all, these people were keepers of sheep, right? They were keepers of sheep. They were those that were the, 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 the ones that took care of the lambs, if you will. There's all sorts of Bible references to sheep, lambs, shepherds you find even in the Old Testament. So let me just give you, drop a few hints here in, into the text that, that might just help us with this. Bring up, if you will, I think it's Exodus 12, verse 3, which is, this is from the, the Passover story. When God tells them, if you want to survive this last plague upon Egypt that's going to strike all the firstborn, there has to be a lamb slain and its blood applied. But here's the qualification for the lamb. The lamb shall be without blemish, a male the first year. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. And basically, you would bring it into your home. You bring it out of the field or the stall where you had it. And it would live with you until until that time of Passover and it was slain and the blood applied. Okay, So the fact that, that they were shepherds might be just a little hint prophetically about Jesus' role. Now, John the Baptist takes it way beyond the hint category in John chapter 1 and verse 29 where we read these words. This is John when he first sees Jesus coming to be baptized. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John had no doubt who he was looking at. God was going to send a lamb, a sacrificial lamb. And this Lamb of God goes all the way back to the first book of the Bible. You remember the story of Abram? That he had one son of promise named Isaac. And then God says, I want you to take him and I want you to sacrifice him to me. 
I don't know about you, I think at that point, I would just start a real argument with God. I, I, that just, there's something wrong here, Lord. Abram just obeys, and he takes him. And, and you remember, Isaac is just, you know, going along with it. He doesn't know that he's going to be the sacrifice, so they think. And he asked this question of his father. And if you go ahead and bring up the next verse here from 22, verse 8 of Genesis. And Abram said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. You know the rest of the story, don't you? Just before he was going to sacrifice his son, there was that uh, animal caught in the, in the thicket and so forth, and it became a substitute, which is to remind us that God will provide the lamb. The Isaac story kind of, kind of prefigures that. Throughout the Old Testament, it prefigures that. So you just would assume that why were the shepherds selected? It's to get us thinking and to get Israel thinking. There's something about a lamb on the way. There's some thought about this, the fact that since this was in Bethlehem, which is just really on the outskirts, it's about seven miles between Bethlehem and Jerusalem proper. So maybe these were lambs that were being raised to be sacrificial Passover lambs. And you remember, you, you see this in the text of Scripture, that Passover, the Jews would come from all over, all over Judea and Galilee and everywhere from other lands. You remember the feast day of Pentecost when the gift of tongues come? It mentions Jews had come from all these lands, all these provinces. Well, if you came to Jerusalem for the Passover, you didn't just put a lamb in your carry-on, okay? You, just, you didn't take it with you. You would get to Jerusalem, you would purchase one that had to be nearby, and then that became your family's sacrifice on Passover. And, and there were thousands and thousands of these lambs that had to be available for all the people coming at Passover. So it, it, it's at least possible that they were not only shepherds doing shepherding activities... Perhaps, and I can't say this with any absolute dogma, but perhaps that they were Passover lambs being prepared. Uh, let me, this might be a good time just to talk about timing. I told you this morning, and I, I probably want to amend my comments this morning, when I said to you that the, the, the only hint that we have about when Jesus was born is from this, the shepherds out in their fields at night, okay? Uh, there's probably a couple more that are not quite so obvious, and let me just run down the list, and if this kind of keys your thinking, you want to study this on your own, feel free. But one is the fact that a census had taken place, was taking place, and that's what brought Mary and Joseph from Nazareth of Galilee, 70, 90 miles, somewhere in that neighborhood, depending on which route you took, to come to Jerusalem. And remember I told you, Jesus more likely was not born in December, okay? I hope I'm not going to ruin anyone's Christmas here. You, 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 you still celebrate the fact, even if you don't celebrate the date. December is typically rainy season in that part of the world, okay? You got rain, it's muddy, it's hard to travel, it's cold. That's probably not the time you're going to call for a census for everybody to go back home and traveling, okay? Now, we make everybody travel at Christmas time when it's cold and snowy and all that sort of thing, but maybe we just don't know any better. But probably that would say that was probably not it. Another one, if you really want to get into this, and I, 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 I didn't bother to get into the math because that's not my forte, but you remember, John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus. And you remember, his father, Zacharias, was of a certain, uh, uh, certain order of the priests. And if you go back in the Old Testament, it tells you the order that they would serve. So you can kind of figure out when he was in the temple. He asked to go home, and after he gets home, uh, he fathers a child by his wife. It takes nine months for that to take place, approximately. So you put it all together... 
it probably would put Jesus' birth somewhere late fall, maybe September. Again, somewhat speculative. But probably the more importantly is this one because they were out in the fields. What were they doing out in the fields? The fields around Bethlehem were primarily used for raising grain. And the shepherds, remember I told you they were the bottom rung of the ladder? Uh, when, when Joseph brought his family down to Egypt, he brings his father and his brothers and all of their clan down to Egypt. You remember there's a verse that's, that's found in Genesis that it's found in uh, uh, Genesis 46, 34, where it says that every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Because the Egyptians were farmers who grew crops. If you grew crops, the last thing you wanted was a bunch of sheep around. Because you know what's going to happen when they get into your fields? They're going to eat up your income. So they had no... That's, that's one thing that kept the Israel sort of secluded so that they could kind of become a great nation apart without intermarrying with Egypt. So that was part of God's grand design. But then when Israel comes into the land, the majority of the tribes were, were farmers growing grain more than shepherds tending sheep. And that, that same sort of, that same sort of uh, animosity came between shepherds and those who were growing crops. So the shepherds were kind of looked down as, you keep those smelly, nasty sheep out of here. Keep them at a distance. You go out there in the, in the lands where nobody else can grow grain and you, you, you graze your sheep out there sort of in the wilderness. So the shepherds would be gone for periods of time. And so they were out there with smelly sheep doing what sheep do. You would become unclean and you couldn't get back to, the, to a place where you could ritually wash and be clean again. So they just were marked with these were unclean people. These were the people you just sort of wanted to keep away from you. But he says they were in the fields around Bethlehem. So you think about this for just a moment. Uh, here's what we suspect happened, would happen. In the spring, crops would start to come in. Crops, depending on which particular grain was being harvested, would come in over the summer. And then you get to late summer and fall, the harvest was all done. At that point, it was okay to arrange for shepherds to bring their sheep into your fields to do cleanup work on your fields, to eat up the brush and the scrub and anything left over, and also, forgive me for being somewhat graphic, to fertilize your fields to get it ready for next year's harvest, which the winter rains would get it ready, and then spring you would hopefully get another crop. So it was sort of a, a symbiotic relationship, so it worked in harmony. So that also probably would indicate it's late summer into fall when they're out there, and that's the reason they're out there. So... If you want to put up your Christmas tree starting in September or, or August, feel free. It really doesn't matter for the fact of his born. But they, they were keepers of lambs. Number two, there's a connection to David, the shepherd of his people. And that's the second prophetic reason. Okay, The first reason is the, he's the keeper of lambs and David the shepherd. There's a verse that's found in 1 Chronicles 11, 12, excuse me, 11, 11, 2, excuse me, that says this. Also in time past, and this is God now speaking to David, when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel and brought them in, and the Lord your God said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be a ruler over my people Israel. David was a shepherd. By the way, that was a shock to their system. When God called the second king of Israel, he started with somebody the lowest rung on the ladder. And not only that, he's the lowest rung in his father's house. And God elevates him to this position 
of importance to shepherd his people. And so you would suspect that God would send shepherds in a prophetic statement to say to anybody who cared to figure this out, a son of David has been born who is not just a shepherd of his people, but is the the good and the great shepherd over all. So there's a prophetic connection there. And there's one more, and we'd have to read a whole bunch of verses in Jeremiah. I'm just going to read one. But he is the good shepherd who would come. One of the things, if you read Jeremiah, Jeremiah several times blasts the shepherds of Israel. And I'm not talking about the, the physical shepherds of sheep, the shepherds, the spiritual shepherds of the people. The, the priesthood and the scribal uh, 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 involvement had become so corrupt and so self-serving and so just messed up that Jeremiah talks about these, these wicked, un, you know, they're just, they've undone all the good things that should be done. They were abusing the sheep and using the sheep rather than tending the sheep and helping the sheep grow and thrive. <coughs> Excuse me. But there's one verse in chapter 3. If you'll bring that up, Jeremy, I appreciate it. It says, In the future, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Now, that's probably a messianic reference. And notice it's plural. It's not just one shepherd. But he's saying... In the future, there's this expectation that the corruption of the shepherds, the spiritual shepherds of Israel, is going to be fixed. And you remember what Jesus ran into in his earthly ministry. Who did he have the most trouble with? Was it tax collectors? Was it, you know, the sinners of the world? Was it the common people? The people he had problems with was the, can we say it this way? The shepherds of the ones that should have been the shepherds of his people. So he confronted that and you understand that. So it's prophetic. So one of the reasons shepherds were there, it's just practical. They were there, unrelated, multiple witnesses. There's prophetic reasons to tell us that this one who is going to be born is tended by these keepers of lamb because he is the lamb of God. He's one who's going to sit on the throne of his father David and shepherd his people. And he's going to be a great shepherd as compared to a defective shepherd that you see throughout the Old Testament. Now, verse 15. And, when it, and, it was so, and so it was, when the angel had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said one to another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Let's go take a look. We know what to look for. And let's just go, Bethlehem's not that big. Let's go and find. And they went and see. I'm going to put the word see in front of you if we could. That's what we should. We should listen. Maybe take some solitude. But we need to see. We need to see the Lord before us. When we open the pages of Scripture, may we not just look at it as some academic exercise, but we need to see our Lord on display. And let me just encourage you to try something. As you read the scriptures, as you're being taught the scriptures, as you're involved in study of the scriptures, why don't you just praise your way through your reading of scripture? You read it when it talks about glory to God in the highest. Well, thank you, Lord, that you, at least in your own mind, offer him praise, that you're a God worthy of glory. And that on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, all this sort of thing. Thank you that you're a God that's a giver of peace. Just engage, at least in an internal, quiet, heart-to-heart dialogue with the Lord. And offer him your praise. I trust that that will allow us all to see a little clearer what he wants to say to us. Thirdly and lastly, and this is pretty straightforward, but there's some instructive reasons why the shepherds were the ones on God's 
exclusive list for the birth announcement. Number one, the outcasts were invited in. We talked already about how they were unclean. They were viewed as the outsiders. The one picture I have, and I guess I grew up in a day where I watched too many cowboy movies, but remember back in the old cowboy, when the cowboys had been out, you know, taking the the, the cattle across the range and been out and they come to town and they just sort of, you know, it's, it's just a mess in town when the cowboys come into town. You know, there's all this just carrying on. Uh, that's that's sort of how the, the, the shepherds were. They were sort of the ones that were on the outside looking in. Uh, I may read just a couple of quick things that you might find interesting. But uh, there's a particular work called the Mishnah, which goes back to about Jesus' time. And it was a, an attempt to collect the oral teaching of the rabbis. So as the rabbis taught the scripture, it was try to, an attempt to capture what they were saying. And a couple things that are in the Mishnah about shepherds, and it just gets this, this whole idea. It says, one passage describes shepherds as incompetent. Uh, another one says, no one should ever feel obligated to, to rescue a shepherd that's fallen into a pit. You get the idea. These, these people were not well thought of. Um, uh, he, he, this, this guy by the name of uh, Jer, Jeremiah um, wrote this. In the Mishnah, to buy wool, milk, or a kid from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it would be stolen property. Okay? Uh, in the time of Jesus, the same writer wrote, the rabbis asked with amazement in, in, in how, of the despic- in spite of the despicable nature of shepherds, one could explain why God would call my shepherd, why God would call, allow himself to be called my shepherd in Psalm 23 1. The Lord is my shepherd. So they were the outcasts. I'm glad God's in the business of inviting outcasts into his family. You remember there was a time when Jesus was hanging out with all the wrong people. If you'll bring up that verse for me, it's in Mark chapter 2, verse 16. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Next verse. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. To repentance. Every time you look at a shepherd in your nativity scene, just be reminded of this. God welcomes outsiders. He welcomes sinners like us. And we should be, we should be eternally amazed that God would invite us in. Number two, but the great news is sinners can be cleansed. Sinners can be cleansed through the, through the work of God and through the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. Yes, we are sinners saved by grace, and we should never, we, we use that all the time. But no, don't ever forget either side of that equation. We are sinners, yes, that's what we deserve. But we are sinners who have been saved by God's grace. That should propel us to live differently and act differently. And lastly, it reminds us not only that outcasts are invited in, it instructs us that sinners can be clean, but this story instructs us that sinners have a story to tell. And did they tell it? It says that uh, they made this widely known, verse 17, the saying which was told them concerning the child. Verse 20, they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen as it was told them. God took this little group of shepherds and sort of dropped a bomb into that part of the world so that people were starting to hear the news that God's son had come. Something is up. Something amazing is happening. You know, let me just put one more word on the screen. It's the word tell. We should hear, listen. We should, uh, before our Lord, see and enter into what he's doing. The shepherds did that when they went and looked in that manger. And we need to be the ones to tell others, to make it widely known. Uh, there's a particular person, I, I, I didn't inform him I was going to do this, so I won't share a name. 
but there's a particular person that comes to church every Sunday, and I, I see him online on social media. Every Sunday I see a picture of a bulletin that he's taken while he's sitting in church, and he says, I'm in church, I want you to come, you know, that sort of thing. Today on his post, every one of, of Melinda, all, every one of your decorations was, had a picture taken of it. It was, was this big like, photo album of all the decorations that are in here. And, and he just does it because he wants people to know that I went to church and I love the Lord and I love what I'm getting. Maybe some of us could do some clicking and posting. Maybe it's just a verse from your devotions. Maybe it's just a word of encouragement. Maybe it's a comment to somebody else that they're going through a tough time and you say, I'm going to pray for you and then do it. Maybe it's an opportunity to share some encouragement that you have received from someone else and pass it on. There's so many ways that we have to tell the story. May God help us to be faithful in telling that story. Let me just summarize one little statement. We who are outcasts have been invited into God's family. I ended this morning by telling that story from the little boy that put the quarterback in his mama's shoe. If you weren't here, I'll I'll catch you up later. But love did it. Love's what what prompted that. And love for, for, for outcasts, sinners with a bad reputation like the shepherds, and a bad reputation and outcasts like us is all motivated by God's love.